Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 3, and um, we're going to have a good time studying there as we look at an overall thought. There's a lot going on in that chapter, but we're going to try to kind of hone in on one overall thought this morning as we typically try to do. Um, You know what? Many people today are asking for help, aren't they? I mean, they're asking for help in, in so many different ways. Some people very obvious, you know. Some people, very obvious, they come up to you and say, can you help me? <laughs> you know? Um, some people, not so obvious. Some people um, are a bit passive in that, and they're doing things that maybe are, are a bit hurtful or harmful to themselves, but yet they're, they're, they're calling out, they're saying, can, can somebody please help me with this, All right? Um, and so there's so many people asking for help in so many different ways, not always obvious, not always easy to discern. And um, I know that a lot of people, as, as, as help is requested from them, it, they try to give, um, but, but they don't maybe know how to help. You ever been in that situation where you're like, this person's asking for help, but I'm not really quite sure how to help them, not really quite sure what to do. How do, I, how do I answer that request? And then, you know, a lot of people, they will ask for your help, but what they're asking from you is not necessarily what they need, and it's not necessarily what you have. And a lot of people, when they're asking for help, they're, they're asking for you to, to sustain their, their unhealthy life, Right? And, and, and they're asking you to, to resource them so that they can continue to stay where they are. And um, so helping today is such a weird word, isn't it? And sometimes you find yourself um, kind of at a loss, kind of in a place where you're maybe regretting what you've done. And you're saying, but I was only trying to help. And you, it kind of blew up in your face or it got worse. And you're like, oh no. And you've had like these well-intended um, well-motivated, kind of thought-out things that you really, you thought, man, I was just trying to help. And, and you know, the funny character that I always think of in regards to that is, is the mother on Everybody Love Raymond, Loves Raymond. You remember her? Um, and I'm forgetting her, her, her real name, but um, as she was doing that, she, but she had this weird way about her, didn't she? She was, she was controlling, and she was manipulative, and um, all of those things. And then when she would get called out on that, she was, but I was only trying to help. No, you weren't trying to help. You were trying to control. You were trying to manipulate. You were trying to do all those things. And so sometimes help is so, so hard to give and so, so hard to receive. And um, I know I go back to this often with you, but I think that as with so many things in our life, giving help is hard when you live in a world where people's truth is their own. And so I think instead of living in objective truth, people are living in subjective truth, and they have their own version of truth, their own version of reality, their own version of of who they think they are and who they think or what they think life should be and then they're going to take you and you are in your little individualized subjective little bubble over here but yet you're trying to help them and I I don't know that that in a culture where truth and morality are subjective I don't know that we can really help anybody besides besides and this is what I think is happening in our culture today Besides coming to them and saying, okay, what do you think is true, and let me help you with that. 
Even if I don't think it's good, even if I don't think it's true, I think it's bad, I think it's hurtful, I think it's wrong, I think it's an error, but if that's what you're seeing, then I'll help you live that out. And when people don't receive that today, when they don't receive help doing what they want to do, they, they, they kind of start to cut you off. And I think churches are filled this morning, this weekend, um, with people coming to a, a, a thing like this, sitting before somebody doing what I'm doing, and you're looking for me to tell you something this morning that will help you do what you want to do. <laughs> it's like you're, you're looking for me to take the Bible and to teach you the Bible in such a way that makes you feel right, that makes you feel correct, and so that you can go do what you want to do. And so um, I think that that's one reason why um, what could be, standing up here thinking with you, it could be a reason why our church is so small. Because I'm really not interested in that. I'm really not interested in telling you how to go do what you want to do. I, I, don't, I think you can, if you want to go do something, you're going to do it regardless of what I tell you. And you're, you, if, if I don't agree with you, you're going to say the pastor's wrong and I'm going to go do what I want to do. If I agree with you, you're going to say, see, I'm right, now I'm going to go follow the pastor's advice. And that's just so weird because you're only going to follow the advice that you agree with and the rest of it you're going to throw in the trash and not do anything with. And I think that's why church becomes rather useless. And I wouldn't even attend church. I wouldn't be a pastor. I wouldn't be part of any organized religion at all if I just believed that truth was subjective. And why would I want to hear what you have to say? Why would I want to hear your version of the truth? I'll just, it's, it's up to me based upon my own desires and experiences, and so I don't need you. I would sit at home and read the Bible, and I would take the words of the page. I would disregard their original meaning. I would disregard the first century culture. I would disregard the whole scene in which they were written. I would just take those words, and I would pin them onto 21st century culture and my own ideas, and I would use those words to make up my own reality, and that's what we have taking place in our culture, and those are the people that are crying out and saying, please help me. So we are in a big mess. We're in a big mess, and, and th this morning, I love you, but uh, the, the title that I hold here at the church and the title that I hold in your life is your pastor. It's your pastor. And one of the functions of a pastor is to speak as a prophet, and that is to take the words of God and give them to you. So in that regard, being your pastor this morning, I'm bringing you the word of God, and I'm requiring you to say if this is gonna be any, of any use to you, then you're going to have to get on board with the idea that God is God and you're not, and God is the author of his word and you're not, and God is the definer of what his word means, you're not, and neither am I, by the way. So you're not looking for my interpretation of anything. You're not looking at my ideas of anything. We're together as humans f trying to find our way and trying to understand what the Scripture means, and it's my job to lead the way in, in doing that. And so in this spirit of help, um, we can only give what is needed, not what is often asked for. Okay? So... Just let, let, let's, let's kind of work this out a little bit in this text and kind of see what happens and just kind of know, um, I mentioned something about, and I, I talk about this a lot, but if, if you are going to come and get, your, get advice from me, if you're going to say, Pastor, would you please help me, just know that you just might, you just might receive something that you didn't ask for. You just might be 
directed in, on a path that you didn't think maybe you were going to be asked to walk. And perhaps, and most likely, most likely, you're going to receive something from me that you would initially disagree with. Okay? That you would initially say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Okay, and just to let you know, everybody that comes and asks for my advice, Pastor, what do you think about this? You, you, you have to know that I'm looking at your question and your subject as a symptom of a real issue. Because if you come to me and say, well, Pastor, my husband won't stop yelling at me. Can you give me some advice? Can you help me make him stop yelling at me? That's a symptom of something. Some, something is going on. And so I'm going to ask you most likely a series of questions, and I'm going to help you in a way that probably you, you didn't anticipate. I'm, I'm not going to do what you want me to do and give your husband a call and say, listen, by the order of the office of pastor, stop yelling at your wife. Because that's not going to help. He doesn't care. He'll just yell at me, and then, you know, whatever. I'll walk away scared that he's going to hit me. So, God, so give what is needed. Now we're going to pick up the pace and move, because there's a lot to cover in this text. Yes, a whole chapter, but we're going to do so, and we'll move through in a, in a reasonable time frame. The first thing that we notice in Acts chapter 3 in regards to this give what is needed, and not what is often asked for, is that Peter and John gave the lame man what he needed. I always find this passage fascinating when I come to it, because Jesus must have passed this guy I don't know how many times in the three years Jesus was in the area. And we don't ever read about Jesus doing anything for the man. We don't read about Jesus talking to the man. We don't, realize, we don't read about Jesus giving alms to the man. We, we don't real, see Jesus healing the man. We, we just know that Jesus spent a lot of time in the temple, as was his custom, and, and, and he would walk by and, and probably walk by this guy all the time. Countless numbers of times, Jesus seemingly did not care and walked right past this man. So now Peter and John we're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on him, expecting to receive something from them, but, notice that word, there it is again, we're, we, expecting this, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. What a wonderful, wonderful story of healing. What a wonderful miracle. For, for this man, when you're just thinking about this man, this lame, he's lame since birth, n never walked, n never, never able to do that, never ran, never, never did any of those things growing up. He's lame from his birth. He had to be carried and put there just to simply beg. That was his existence, was to simply beg for a sustenance. And he relied upon the generosity of others and the pity of others. And um, in this, this culture, most of the time, people would look at someone like that and believe that somehow his parents or grandparents had sinned and now he was in this state. So he was, he was the object of shame. He 
was the object of ridicule. He was the object of people's pity. And he was just sitting there asking for money so that he can stay alive. That, that, that was his life. That was his, his past. That was his present. That was all he could see of the future. And so that, that's all he kind of expected on a daily basis was to help me stay the way that I am. I have no hope of getting any better. I have no hope of, of anything other than where I am right now. And this is just the way it's going to be. And so, so many people see Christianity that way. I have no hope of change. I have no hope of transformation. I, I have no hope of anything different. I'm just here in my space, and I'm going to rely upon church. I'm going to rely upon people to help me remain in the state that I find myself. And, and those people then just simply say, help me. Help me stay like I am. And, and Jesus has no interest in helping you stay the way you are. I have no interest in helping you stay the way you are, and, um, and, and we're, that's not why we're, we're together in this, in this format. But in a larger sense, you, you see that Jesus was doing other things, bigger things. He was actually telling the world. He was actually telling his disciples. He was actually broadcasting that his kingdom was now being established on the earth, and it was being done through the men that followed him, that this miracle had a, had a, had a reason for this individual, but it had a much bigger reason than that. It was to say that the miracles that Jesus did were now being done through the apostles, and the kingdom of God was now being established through the apostles in the, this, this organism called the church, and it was alive and well, and though Jesus had died and resurrected, all his work was continuing. This was still going to be a move. It was going to be a global move. It was going to be a cosmic move. It was going to be a universal move, and it had so much bigger implications than just this one man's healing as much as for him it was the whole world and he could care less about any of the other things <laughs> and that's okay because sometimes life's that way so the lame man wanted help surviving in his current state but James and John gave compassion and attention to the real need and God provided the healing do you see that you see James and John gave compassion they looked intently at him we read they said look at us they they they, they gave him compassion, and they said, we, we don't have any, any gold, we don't have any money, we don't have what you're asking for, I can't help you in the way that you're seeking help, but what I do have, I have something greater than what you're asking for, I have a bigger answer to your problem than what you're looking for, you're asking for simple sustenance, you're asking for simple survival, but I'm going to tell you how to live forever, I'm going to tell you how to be restored, I'm going to tell you how to follow the creator of the universe, I'm going to tell you how to be in line with, with, with the God who created you, even when you're angry at that God and think that your parents had done something wrong, that your parents had somehow sinned and left you, and so God cursed you, God, God put it on you, and this man probably lived a very angry existence about the God that has supposedly done this to him in punishment of his parents, yet this man had to sit in the church. And I think the church is full of angry people. People, that, people angry at God. People angry at what God has allowed. People angry at their parents. Angry at their grandparents. Angry at society. They're angry, but yet somehow they find themselves sitting and seated and listening to the word of God and they're angry about it and they're mad and they, they don't understand. And they, they need bigger answers than just, please help me remain the same. Please help me stay the way that I am. And so Peter, gave, Peter and John gave him this kind of attention, this kind of real need ministry. And then G, um, Peter and John um, gave him opportunity to be transformed and God provided the healing. They reached out to him and they said, take my hand. Come on, let's get up. Now you could, no, come on, this is dumb, guys. What are you doing? Just give me some money. I don't want to reach out my hand. I don't want to reach out to you. I don't want to trust you. What are you going to do? Pick me up off this thing and drop me back down on the ground? I mean, good grief. How many times, I wonder how many times somebody had said this to him. I mean, you just get sick of it after a while. Come on, get better. Come on, do better. Come on, change yourself. 
I mean, you just get kind of tired of that after a while. And even if people have reached out to you and reached out to you and reached out to you, just refuse. Just refuse. No, thank you. No, thank you. And you know what? Sometimes people, we, we, we just stop, don't we? We stop trying to help. We stop reaching out. So, but they gave him an opportunity, but he had to actually actuate that. He had to step into that. And so many, God is reaching out to you today, and he's sharing his, his word with you, and you're hearing his word, and he's telling you, let's go, let, let, let's move forward, let's get better, let's be transformed, and you're, no, thank you. No, thank you, I'm here for the potluck. No, no thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping the pastor tells a good joke today, so at least there'll be a reason to be here. Um, and, and so he said, no, but no, thank you. No, thank you. So he gave them an opportunity, but they also gave them a reason. As we read that, as we read this text, it kind of unfolds that, that they start talking to him about his history. They start talking to him about the nation of the Jews and what God has done, and they, they start giving him reason. They start talking about the great works of God. They start talking about how God has led his people over history, and he's been doing all of these wonderful things, and he says, look, at this is the reason why we believe in God. This is the reason why we have hope in Christ, because all these things have taken place, and maybe this man wasn't taking wasn't taking the time to consider all of those. Because when you're hurt and you're in pain, are you considering the great works of God that he's done for other people? Maybe, but maybe with jealousy, maybe with envy, maybe with further anger, thinking, well, yeah, God did it over there, but not here, or God did it you know, in times past, but not now. And so we have all these things, but he gave them opportunity and reason to play, place his faith in God. And so in that sense, Peter and John were giving him what they needed and then lastly, you see that God provided healing. But very interesting, when you see verse 16, which we'll read in just a moment. Don't go there on the screen yet. But you'll see it in just a moment. Let me point it out to you now. But in verse 16, when Peter is talking and defending this whole incident, he says, and his name, excuse me, yeah, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so it is very, very understanding that John and James, or excuse me, Peter and John, when they shared this stuff with him and they extended their compassion to him and they said, we don't have what you want, but we have what you need. And then he somehow, in some way, this man decided for whatever reason, could have been the Holy Spirit convincing him, could have been his, his just sick and tired of being in his state. He could have, um, maybe some of the reasons were starting to impact his heart. Maybe this is like him saying, finally someone's telling me the truth. Finally someone's not just throwing money at me and leaving me the same. They're actually giving me real answers. And maybe his faith that somehow was birthed, but Peter tells us that it was his faith. It wasn't what James and John had. It was his own faith. And so what we can do is we can provide opportunity we can provide compassion. We can provide love. We can provide reasons. We can provide context. We can reach out. But the bottom line is the people that are wanting our help have to actually put their faith in what's going on. And I know I say this every time. You probably know. I bet you half of you at least can raise your hand right now and tell me what the Greek word for faith is. I'm not going to ask you to do it. But because all of you probably don't have that remembered, I'll tell you for the thousandth time maybe. The Greek word for faith is the Greek word pistos, which means I've seen enough to trust. I've seen enough to trust. So he probably received everything that Peter and John was telling him is okay. Based on that, I'll trust what's next, even though I don't see it. I'll, I'll take what I do see, and I'll say based upon what I do see, I'll trust him for what I don't see. 
And that's faith. And so he believed in Jesus. He, maybe he didn't have it all together. He didn't see everything. But he saw enough. He saw a little. And whatever little he saw caused him to put his faith in Jesus. So then, as was customary and what would happen today, as this guy's life started to change and as he started praising God, we noticed that something else began to happen. And we noticed in verses 8 through 26, rather long text, I understand, but Peter and John gave the people what they needed. So now we're moving from the individual to the masses. The individual to the masses, but you see the same pattern. And so here we go, verse 8, bear with me as I read a rather lengthy text. It says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement with what had happened to him. In other words, they had no answer. They were like, what? What just happened? I wonder about all The whole place was filled with questions. People wondering why and how. And, well, what is this? His parents can't repent from the sin that they committed to get him in this. It just threw all of them. They were like, how is it possible that this man, who Jesus himself walked past day after day, that this man is somehow now leaping and jumping and praising God. So it brought all of these questions. And then it brought amazement to them at what had happened. And then look at view, um, verse 11. is so beautiful and, and, and a little bit uncomfortable, maybe. Verse 11, while he clung to them, he clung to them, to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had de decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this... We are witnesses. That sentence to this, we are witnesses. It is so amazing when I look at the apostles full of the Holy Spirit and full of them, just that these people have nailed it. And they said, listen, we are witness to this. They understood that Jesus had said, you will be witnesses of my resurrection. And in the first century church, everything flowed back to that. Everything came back to that. It's as though that if you came and said, Pastor, can you help me with my marriage? The first thing out of my mouth would be Jesus is raised from the dead. Pastor, I don't know what's going on. My kid's gone wild. Jesus raised from the dead. I got a lot of questions. I can't, you know, I, I love science and philosophy, and there seems to be some kind of mismatch between religion and, and, and science and all of these things. And ah, Jesus raised from the dead. 
God, I went to the doctor and got bad news, and, and, and I'm a mess. And, 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 and doctor's telling me I got a few months to live. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, he raised from the dead. It would always come back to that. Because everything about Christianity, everything about God's word, everything about everything hinges upon this one reality, that the tomb that Jesus was placed in is empty today. You, you can go. You, you can go see. It's empty today. And, and, and the world is, 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 is these questions. And, and over the period of the last 2,000 years, there's been all sorts of theories and ideas of why the tomb is empty. But nobody argues that the tomb that they put Jesus in is now empty. And when everything got questioned, they're saying, wait a minute, how did you make this man well? And how is this man now walking and praising God? And they said, well, the tomb is empty. <laughs> That's reason number one. And then we go from there. And see, if you're going to reject Christianity, if you're going to dispel, d d disregard the word of God, if you're going to disregard any the church, if you're going to disregard any of it, you have to answer the question, why is the tomb that they put Jesus in empty? And your decision there and it has to be based on evidence, not wishful thinking, not your own wild concoctions about what happened in history, None of that. It has to be based on sound reason. It has to be based on physical evidence. It has to be built on, on logic. It has to make sense in order for it to be true. But I know we live in a culture that doesn't care about logic. We, learn, we live in a culture that doesn't care about reason. We live in a culture that sheerly depends on its own emotional, individualistic de um, decision making. And you might say, Pastor, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but I don't. I don't care what you and I believe about it. It doesn't matter what you and I believe about it as much as it re demands a, um, a reason for what actually did happen. Something happened in the first century that radically changed everything. And every time a Christian in the first century was questioned, they went back to this idea. And here they were once again back at this idea. Jesus has resurrected and they said, we are witnesses to this. Isn't that amazing that he used that in and of himself? We are witnesses to this. And pick it up again, verse 16 says, And this, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know, that you Look at the compassion in, in Peter's voice here. He says, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. In other words, when you were shouting crucify him before Pilate, you were ignorant. You didn't know what was going on. I understand that, he says. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer and thus fulfilled repent therefore you did it out of ignorance and God was fulfilling his words so to start thinking differently he says repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. 
And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who come after him who proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up this servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Isn't that amazing what Peter tapped into in this section of Scripture? When this guy's going berserk because he, find, he can finally walk, somebody showed compassion, somebody just didn't give him what he asked for but gave him what he needed, and now people are coming and saying, what is the deal with this guy? Why, why, why is this happening? And Peter says, oh, oh, because Jesus is resurrected. And by the way, you killed him, you put him there, and, and, but I know, he says, I know that you were ignorant. You, you didn't understand. You didn't get it. Peter's in a sense saying, we're giving you a pass for killing Jesus. <laughs> we're, we're giving you a pass. So, so let's repent. And then what he does is he takes them on a journey of their whole history. He takes them all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And he walks them all the way through what, their, what the God had always told them. And then he brings them to today and he says, this is your moment he didn't say well how did you feel about that he did not say to them oh well Jesus made him walk if you want to get healed whoever wants to get healed today come on up I'll put my hands on you because I'm the man didn't say that he went back to the resurrection he worked them through logically in a way that they could understand. He used history. He used proof. He used reason. He used logic. He gave them for opportunity for forgiveness. And he said, guess what? Jesus wants to free you from your sin. It's the whole point. It's the whole point. The healing of the lame man was simply for everyone besides him. For him, it was glorious healing. But for everyone else, it was a sign. For everyone else, it was a Jesus is still here moment. For everyone else, it was a God's kingdom is being established on earth and you need to repent. He sounds a lot like John the Baptist, doesn't he? Kingdom of God is here. Repent. Change your thinking about God and allow God to bring refreshing to you. So the challenge then becomes for us today to give what is needed, not not what is often asked for because love gives. Because love gives. Love doesn't necessarily permit. Love doesn't necessarily allow. Love doesn't give permission to remain. Love does not enable someone to stay in a dysfunctive, dis- dysfunction, dysfunction. I can't say that today. I make a living with my words. <laughs> love doesn't allow that. But love gives. Notice John 3.16, extremely, extremely. I know you can stand up and quote this this morning. But look at this. For God so loved. The Greek word there, agaped. For God so agaped you. He loved you unconditionally. He loved you without boundary. He loved you w- w- without any expectation. He simply loved. For God so loved 
that he gave. What did he give? What you wanted? Gave what you needed, what he had promised. He gave his son. Well, why? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love. So he gives. First John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved, in other words, if he loved like that, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the call there in the whole book of little tiny book of First John at the end of the of the Old Testament New Testament is this book of love. Is this book that the author John says, God loves like this, so we should too. Oh. So how do we love today in this in this culture that says, if you love me, you won't tell on me? If you love me, you'll let me get away with this. If you love me, you won't hold me accountable. If you love me, you won't ask me to change. If you love me, you won't tell me I'm wrong. If you love me, you won't correct me. If you love me, you'll change the meaning of words. You'll change the meaning of the words instead of saying tolerate, which means I disagree with you, but I'm not going to hurt you. It means I'm going to force you to agree with me if you love me. If you love me, you'll agree with me. No. If I love you, I'll tolerate you. I'll say you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I believe you're wrong. And here's the reason. Here's the evidence. But I love you. I'm not going to hurt you. (laughs) I'm not going to devalue you as a human being. And I'm also going to say that you have the right to make your claim. I value you. I tolerate you. I can say what I believe is true. And you're welcome to say what you believe is true as well. You should have equal voice that I have. You should be able to say whatever. And you should be able to give your reasons. And do your research. And, you, and we, we both should have the right to do that. But we're not going to be ignorant and say that we're both right. That's just foolish. That, 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 that doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. So we are challenged to love as God loved. And then finally, we as a church, I believe that giving what is needed is an invitation to be adopted by God. And I believe that that's what our church should be about inviting people to be adopted by God, inviting people to come in. Notice what Paul says in Romans 8, and we'll quit with this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, very interesting, to live according to the flesh. Oh, verse verse 12, we can have a sermon series on that. So then, brothers, we're not debtors to the flesh. In other words, whatever comes naturally to me on my own, I'm not indebted to that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to pay that back. I don't owe that anything. So if my natural inclination is to lie to you, I don't owe it to myself to do it. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so if, if, if whatever I think I am, I don't owe it to myself to act that out. And to be that. So brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to (laughs) die. But if by the Spirit you put the death to deeds of the body, you're going to live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, you're not a slave to your flesh. For you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, nice word for saying Daddy. Very intimate, compassionate, passionate way to say my Father. The Spirit Himself then bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So when people come to you and they say, will you help me? Will you help me? Yeah, I will. But can we take some time praying? Seeking God on, to understand really what kind of help you need? And can you understand that I'm not interested in helping you fulfill the desires of your flesh? But I'm interested in helping you fulfill the very reasons why God created you and wants to fill you with His Spirit and move you into a wonderful life. I, I'm, 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 help, I'm very interested in helping you grow as a child of God. Very interested in that. In helping you transform and get freedom. Very interested in that but I'm not very interested in coming alongside you in your dysfunction and helping you remain the same. And I'm not asking you to help me do that either, but I'm asking that together we help each other, that we help each other, that I come to you and I say, I think I need this, and you, Pastor, maybe not. Maybe we really need this. Oh, well, let's look at that. Does that make sense? And so, wherever you're asking for help today, and wherever people may be asking you for help, I pray that you give what is needed. That you give what is needed. Not necessarily what is asked for. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for loving us and caring for us in so many, so many ways. And here is this man, Lord, just astonished by this life that this poor, poor man, lame from his mother's womb, but more than the, the physical problem that he faced, Lord, just that being an outcast and being someone that where they just looked at him and said, man, your, your parents must have been terrible for God to do this to you. For people to actually be telling him in that his whole life that God did something bad to him because his parents were sinners. God, I can't imagine simply living that existence and being in that place where he was always in the, that place of people were coming to worship you. And as they passed by this man, they just threw money at him thinking that you had done this to him. Yet they go into the temple and worship you as magnificent and wonderful. Oh, maybe you didn't do that to me because my parents are great, so I'm going to worship God. I'm blessed, so I'm going to worship God. I'm glad I'm not like that guy outside. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like the guy that you cursed. And so many people worship God with that sick, twisted mentality. And so many today worship you in that same twisted, weird, backwards way. And Father, I pray today that you would build your church as a group of people that when asked for help, that we would take them to their real needs, their real needs according to you, their creator, and that we would help people see that they're not indebted to their flesh. That they don't have to do what naturally comes to them. Because each and every one of us, Lord, are naturally selfish and self-absorbed. Left to ourselves, we'll all be narcissists. 
That, that's it. It would just be like a church would be a collection of narcissists who would just come together to have somebody tell them what they want to hear so that they can be what they want to be and have what they want to have. And Father, we're not interested in that. But each and every one of us, Lord, have things, have stuff in our lives that we, we need someone to reach out to us and give us some compassion and some real truth. We need someone to look past what we're saying and asking for and look past and see what we really need. We need people to love us like that because love gives. And love gives like God. That's the level, Lord, that you're calling us to give. You're, you're not saying love like the guy down the street. You're saying love like you did. So, Father, may we be a church that stops looks with compassion at the one requesting help, reaches out, and gives them reason to trust you. That's a big, big, big task today. May you equip us for it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may people connected to all of these people be radically changed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to receive communion.